Hey, I'm Dr. Kit, also known as the Bay Bay Bet, and I am a wild bee scientist, but I'm going to be talking about my dog on the podcast Never Just a Dog. This is so amazing to be chatting with you about your journey and in particular about your dog. I'm so excited because, you know, when you love your dog, like you want to tell everyone about your dog and not everyone wants to hear about your dog. Like, like I'll go on a date and I'll be like, by the way, I have the coolest dog. And I was like, yay. But like, yeah, I'm so great that I now have a chance to speak about my dog extensively because yeah, like. Dogs are literally so important to humans as a species. Like I, you know, I do um, bees now, like I'm a, you know, bee scientist, but I've also dabbled in various other like scientific disciplines. And for a while I um, taught biological anthropology. And so I was really like interested in reading so much about human evolution and I guess what makes humans sort of, I wouldn't say special. I don't think humans are very special, but, um, you know, has made us so successful and dogs have been such a crucial part of human evolution. And there's a hypothesis that one of the reasons why Homo sapiens was more successful than, um, you know, the Neanderthals, which are a subspecies of um, Homo sapiens, but that's also still a little bit of a debate. But um, the reason why Homo sapiens, humans, we're so so successful is because we we've had like an a relationship with dogs for so so many years I think like one of the estimates was like 70,000 years and you know dogs have co-evolved with us as well like with the amylase receptors and their um like ability like there's been studies comparing dogs with wolves and they're like um, ability to like read our eyes and our facial expressions. Yeah, like I just, I, as I said, I love dogs and I think they're so interesting and they're just so important for humans as a species. Tell me about what part of Australia you grew up in. So I was born in Tassie and then my dad's job meant that we moved about Australia quite a bit. I lived mainly in WA and then I moved down to Bunbury for a boy, which didn't work out. <laughs> and that's why we moved to Queensland. Yeah. So anyway, I moved to Bunbury and it's um, a beautiful place actually. And the Zephyr, my dog, and Shakira, my other dog, who, who is a Zephyr's daughter, they loved Bunbury because Bunbury has the beaches. And like just seeing them like play on the beach like there is nothing more beautiful and pure than seeing dogs have fun on the beach like they just love it and so they actually really loved living in Bunbury a lot. (laughs) (laughs) The dog beach is Disneyland for dogs isn't it every single ride right there in that one spot. Yeah they're just they're just so so full of joy pure joy and sure like you're sitting on the beach and they just run up to you and like they have to shake like right next to you. It's like a, a rule of dog um, that if they're going to shake their coats off, it has to be right next to you. Also, like if there's sand, they have to shake it next to you. And, you know, I've, I've given up on like 
having a, a nice car or nice anything. Like you can't have nice things with dogs, but you have dogs and that overrides all the nice things. Did you have dogs in your family when you were growing up? Not for a while because my parents, when I was like a little kid, they were quite, especially my mum was like, oh, be, always be careful around dogs. But there was Lucky, who was my granddad's um, sausage dog that my mum got for her mum when she lost her other dog. And I never met my mum's mum because she died before I was born, but she had a, a stroke and my mum got her this dog um, called Lucky. It was a sausage dog. And then when my grandma died, um, he was like, the best companion for my granddad and it was just like I want to cry just thinking about it but like having my granddad like you know by himself and then he'd just be in the garden all the time and Lucky would always be with him so I I guess my love of dogs started with Lucky and taking him for walks to like the cemetery to put flowers on my grandma's grave so he was just like a lovely lovely dog um and then you know when I was uh, I guess in year seven, I started being like, can we get a puppy? Like I'd sit like at the pet shop. This is back in the time when you can have puppies in the pet shops and like supermarkets. And like, while my mum did the shopping, I'd just sit in front of the pet shop window and look at, look at the puppies. And then we got broken into, and I think that swayed my parents' opinion. And I went away in year seven camp and I came back And we had a puppy and his name was Buddy and he was a Beagle Cross Jack Russell. (laughs) A little bit of a handful because you can imagine that combination of breeds, like Jack Russell, Hyper, Beagle, like, you know, massive stomach will eat anything. Um, But he was gorgeous. Unfortunately, though, he had a, a short life because... He had a, a disc prolapse when he was only three years old. Um, and, you know, I was, it was really traumatic for me because um, I get super attached to animals. Like I love animals more than, than humans. Like my parents, they they paid so much money to see if they could fix him, but um, unfortunately it couldn't. And like one of my biggest regrets in life was that I didn't say goodbye to him. Because I was like, I knew that I would just just cry, and I didn't want to make Buddy even more like sad. But I still wish I did. Um, oh, I'm so emotional because, like, as I said, yeah, I love dogs so much, and that really upset me. Um, so then we, after that, my my parents and my sister were like, oh, we like we'll be a while till we want another dog. I was like, oh my god, I need like I need a dog in my life because I I realized how important dogs were to me. And then we yeah we finally got Missy, um, who is a Beagle Cross, uh, Mini Foxy Cross, uh, Shih Tzu, and she was a lovely little thing. Um, she died about a year ago, so she was there for most of my like teenage early twenties life. So yeah, since then, um, I've had. I guess, a dog in my life all the time, and they're just, yeah, the best. Tell me about your early career. Did you set off wanting to be involved with the study of native bees, or was there, that wasn't even on the radar when you started? Yeah, so 
massive animal lover, obviously. Um, and I, I knew I always wanted to work with animals. I, when I was like thinking about what I wanted to be when I grew up, like late high school, I first thought of vet, but then I was like, I am just going to cry every day. <laughs> so that's not for me. Um, so instead I became a zoologist. And so the scientific study of animals, but I, I studied horses for my honors cause I love horses. But then during that study, I realized how challenging it is to do research on horses because like with science, you need big sample sizes with horses, you know, in Australia, at least you don't have massive riding schools and just getting like the sort of permissions and ethics and the horse world is also super opinionated. And sometimes if you present like scientific evidence, because people are so like in their traditional way of thinking, they will just like ignore it. So I realized that I love horses, but probably didn't want to study them the rest of my life. And I just I started thinking of like all these different research ideas with all kinds of animals. One of them was actually inspired by the um, Russian fox experiment where they like looked at the domestic syndrome in foxes and related to dogs. And I wanted to look at the domestication syndrome in like other animals. In Russia, there was uh, an experiment where they got foxes from a, a fox farm that had never been like tamed or anything and they selected for tameness so the puppies they would just breed with the ones that came up to the people rather than like fearful or snarled at them and they found that over only a few generations they started seeing traits that you see in dogs not only were they more tame and friendly but they started to see like floppy ears and piebalding and changes in their um, reproductive timing um, and then they looked at those sort of the correlated genes um, and, you know, hormones. And it was all like all these different things about physiology, about morphology, more behavior were linked because they were linked to particular genes. And they, they found that by just selecting for tameness, essentially there were all these other correlated traits that came along with it. I thought that was really, really interesting and really cool. Yeah, that, that, that I couldn't find, um, like, when you like, when you have like an idea to do like experiments, you can't just do it. Especially when you're doing a PhD, you need to have a supervisor, you need to have funding. Anyway, so all these ideas, and then I came across some native bees, and I was like, these are so cool, and I love, I love nature, and I love biodiversity, and native bees are just like the perfect example of this, and you know, I can maybe make a real difference to conservation of nature by looking at, at native bees and especially in urban areas because that's where so many people live but we tend to think of urban areas as places for people whereas they shouldn't just be places for people, they should be places for all nature and we have a massive opportunity here because of, you know, urban versus agricultural landscapes, urban areas are where we aren't constrained by like having to grow a particular crop or yield. Like we have complete control about how we manage the landscape essentially. And so I was like, I'll look at bees in urban areas and 
yeah, went from there. <laughs> is that when you decided I'm going to do a PhD? I'm going to become a doctor in this field? Um, no, I always, I think I always wanted to do a PhD. I didn't even know what it really involved. Um, it was so funny. Like I, I thought PhD stood for post honors doctorate, like until I, I think until I got accepted to do a PhD and I didn't realize it stood for doctor of philosophy until I was like filling out the forms and I was like, Oh, I just wanted to be, yeah, I just wanted to do a research project that I guess a PhD is the only time where you sort of have the option to do something that's your own project that's completely yours. Even though many people don't when they do a PhD, like there's a professor and they'll have a research, like a broad research project and there'll be sub-projects and they'll get an, a PhD candidate to do that project. I did differently. I was like, I want to make up a project and someone come supervise me. Um, <laughs> so it was, yeah, I did things a little bit differently. It must be a tough gig doing a PhD. I mean, the work that's involved and also the emotional strain at times. Yeah. Um, like at the start, because I got like this really cool scholarship and like it's so exciting and you're like doing the PhD and and then the field work. So that was like the really the the great part. And there's like plenty of memes where like the first year as PhD students are like all, you know, happy and excited and by the third year they're like sort of a bit wrecked. Which is the the case like when it gets to the writing part and you know that your funding is going to run out after this period of time and you don't know what's even happening next after the PhD and, you know, so that's that's the difficult part, um, sort of the, the pressure's on and you're sort of you understood what the world of academia is like and how it's very, like, dog-eat-dog dog and which is so misleading. Dogs don't. Dogs are nice, <laughs> but the dog eat dog sort of, yeah, <laughs> world. Um, so, yeah, towards the end of the PhD, that's when it's very, very stressful. How did Zephyr come into your life, Kit? I'd moved out of house. My, I used to live with my parents and I moved out um, into a rental. And my ex at the time he got a Maremma um, called Yorkie and so he wasn't a very good owner and he didn't really look after Yorkie that well and he didn't have a proper place for Yorkie and then he was he was going to move across the country in a bus and he was like, well, I'm getting the bus ready. Can you look after Yorkie? And I was like, of course, I love, I love Yorkie. So Yorkie ended up li- li- living with me and that's when I sort of fell in love with the Marama breed and I was like, I want to get a puppy and I want to get, I have to get a Marama because they're just a very, very special breed. And so went on Gumtree, of course, and found a, a lady that was having a litter and her Maremas um, looked after goats on a goat farm and yeah, I went out there and she put aside one for me. And when I went out there though, another puppy came up to me 
And I was like, can I have this one instead? Because this one chose me. So she was like, yeah, that one's still available. So that's how I got I got Zephyr. I guess like a few people were like, why are you getting a puppy now? Like it's the wrong time. And I was like, no, like I need like a puppy to help me get through this. And I, I know like I was going through some like issues with my, my ex who was going to like take Yoki and move across the country and he was also sometimes quite like I'm just going to put it out there quite uh, like abusive and so like I remember there'd be days where I'd just like be doing the most boring data entry and feeling bad and I'd be sitting there like putting numbers into my laptop and I'd have um, Zephyr there like she'd always sleep on my feet like always be close yeah, so she'd sleep on my bed, of course. Um, and just having this like little soft puppy um, brings so much joy. Like you know, it was just and like she looks like a little baby polar bear. Like, just so much, so much cuteness. Like yeah, so like you can't feel sad or or anything when you look at her. It was just like absolute cuteness. So yeah. So Zephyr became your emotional support. Yeah, yeah, she has been. Um, and, like, sometimes I have to be her emotional support um, as well because she's she can sometimes be a little anxious, I guess, and unfortunately sometimes she takes it out on her daughter as well. She's, she's such a bad mum. Zeph is lovely, but she's a terrible mum. I thought she would be the best mum, but she's not. <laughs> Grinding away, you know, studying a PhD, it must be lonely at times. Did Zephyr force you to get out of the house? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm lucky in that my PhD involved heaps of field work. Um, getting out in nature is super important. But with Zephyr, um, it forced me to, like, socialise um, because I was like, I, I want her to make sure that she's like good around other dogs and in in WA there's a cafe called Slate Cafe and it's a dog cafe and every weekend they have like dog play dates. There's like a particular area that just they bring all the dogs and sometimes they'll have breed specific um play dates. And so I'd I'd bring Zephyr out, you know, almost every weekend so that she could have like the play dates with the dogs and you just talk with other dog owners. And then, yeah, I'd take her to beaches, like at Connor Dog Beach. And then my friend got a, a dog around the same time as me, so we'd have, like, dog play dates. So, yeah, it was, like, super good for my, like, just talking to other people rather than just, like, shutting away from the world. Uh, so, yeah, she was she was really good in, yeah, getting me to have that sort of, like, life outside of the PhD. During your PhD studies, you discovered a new species of native bee. Yeah. So it wasn't part of my PhD, but I, as part of my PhD, I was surveying bushland remnants and residential gardens and comparing them as habitat for native bees. And bushland remnants are definitely more important. So we need to conserve those. And as part of that, I had to collect the native bees and identify what species they were. And that's a very like long, laborious, tricky process. 
Um, and then when I was doing that, there was like a species that I collected from just four locations and it was in the genus Leoproctus, which is a very diverse genus and there's many undescribed species and the key is terrible. But I was like trying to identify it and I was like, it's it's pretty distinctive for like a species in the genus Leoproctus. Like it should be quite easy to determine which species it was and I like I was going through the key and the descriptions and I was like, I can't can't identify this one. I was like, maybe it's a new species, so I checked with the WA Museum and checked with the person that wrote the recent taxonomic revision of Leoproctus in Australia and she was like, does it have these characteristics? And I'm like, no, no, it doesn't have these, so it's not this one. And so after all that, I was like, yeah, it's it's a new species, but because my PhD wasn't on describing new species and doing taxonomic revisions, I... I really wanted to to name it and describe it because I was like, this is a very cool species and it's rare and restricted. Like it needs to be given given a name because if you don't describe a species, it can't can't be protected. It can't yeah be on any sort of like protection legislation. So I would I chipped away at it like whenever I had I guess spare time, not really spare time, like time available for (laughs) working on it and yeah like try to because yeah and I like my PhD wasn't on taxonomy I didn't have any sort of like supervisors that were taxonomists so I was just talking to to other taxonomists and trying to like learn as much as I could reading other taxonomy papers so that I could make sure I do this right um so it was it was quite a process and so yeah like I collected them in the spring and summer of 2016-17 and 2017-18 and then finally about less than a month ago 2022 finally had it published and now officially a, a new species. And what's the process of naming a new species? So every single species has two parts of its name it's got the genus name and then the species epithet so with humans homo sapiens homo is the genus and sapiens is the species epithet the genus i guess is like a surname and so species that are all closely related in evolution are in the same genus and when you find a new species usually it will already fit into a currently described genus sometimes it's like so um phylogenetically distinct that you have to describe a new genus but um usually the genus is already set so I knew based on its diagnostic characteristics that it was in the genus Leoproctus. Um, the person that describes a new species they then choose the species epithet and there's all the genus and species um, names are in, in Latin which is like a universal language so it's wherever you are in the world no matter what language you speak all the species have like have the same name across the world and so you get to choose the the species epithet and it's really up to you the only like rule is that it can't be you can't describe it after yourself because like that would be like such a, a dick move and you I think also like you can't it can't be racist or anything but there's you can describe it after like a characteristic of the species so if it's a particular color or something stands out about it 
or the place that you found it. Sometimes if you, if the taxonomist describes it, but someone else discovered it, you can name it after who discovered it. You can name it after uh, someone notable in history. So there's heaps of species named after Charles Darwin, rightly so, but it's not very original. And then you can name it after like someone that's like important to you. And that's what I did. And Kit, what did you decide to name this new species you discovered? So I named this new species of bee Leoproctus zephyr, obviously after zephyr, my dog. That's amazing, Kit. You must be so proud. Yeah, I'm Yeah, really, like, really pleased that she'll, you know, literally go down in history, like, even with my my thesis, like you have an acknowledgement section in your thesis where you acknowledge people that were important to, you know, you doing your PhD. And I included Zephyr in that and have a photo of her and me dressed up together as bees in my thesis, which is really cute. Um, and the, the funny thing is that, so when you write a scientific article, including a taxonomic paper, it has to be really good science and to make sure that it is what happens is you send it out to the journal and then the journal editor decides whether it fits the scope of the journal and whether it's like with a brief look whether it's good and then they'll send it out to experts in the field and they will critically review your paper and one of the reviewers sometimes reviewers can be like quite nasty um one of the reviewers is like why are you naming it after your dog? Like, that's a bit silly. Like, you should name it after, like, maybe the flower that it was found on. And I was like, no, like, I'm going to name it after my dog. Like, you can't, that's not a valid criticism. So, yeah. Does Zephyr know there's a native bee named after her? I did tell her, and I've got, like, a little a reel on my Instagram of me telling her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. So tell me about life with you and Zephyr now. Yeah, so um, like wherever I am in the house or if I go out in the garden, she's like one of those dogs that will always be like near you. Um, She doesn't have to be like right on top of you, but she's always there. Like if I walk into another room, she'll go like walk up and go and lie in the other room. So like just always that that presence, which is really beautiful when, when I come home like I've got sort of quite a low gate and I'll drive up the driveway and both of them will like jump up and put their heads over the fence and little paws and like you see their happy faces. It's just the best thing to come home to. Like I would hate to come home and just not have that like how depressing. I don't know how people can live without dogs. Like both of us have been like really important for each other in these last um, probably like five months, four or five months because we went through a very bad time because I moved to Queensland and I left like all my, my friends and, you know, love Bunbury and, you know, the girls, I call them the girls, um, (laughs) Zephyr and Shakira, you know, they, they got flown over. And the reason why we moved was so that could like have a, essentially a life with my now ex and, you know, I loved him and and Zephyr loved him too. And, And then he went on tour and um, cheated on me and, like, to be honest, if I didn't have Zephyr and Shakira, like, I was I was in a bad place and 
having them there was like mate gave me a reason to like live because <laughs> I was like if I didn't have them I would be like why am I even living like this pain is so bad but I was like I can't abandon them like that would be that would be so selfish like they need me and like already Zephyr like you know upset that like you know her her favorite person wasn't there anymore and my favorite person wasn't there anymore and um yeah I guess like they definitely made me not die I guess like I know this is like super uh super I guess deep and a little bit traumatic but um yeah like they they literally gave me a reason to live I'm happy that you're still here and we're chatting together. I think it's important for people to realize how, you know, I'm, dogs have helped, I'm, I'm sure, so many people, like, not commit suicide because, <laughs> like, you're like, I can't abandon my dog, you know. Um, I, yeah, there's, like, so much research that dogs are so important for, like, quality of life and, and yeah just helping people with like mental health and how are you doing now uh still like still up and down hey like yeah it's it's silly because people see all that I'm like achieving and they're like oh like you must be like so happy and, and doing so well I'm like well you know like when I was like writing this paper and and publishing and stuff, it was back when I was, like, still with my my ex and, like, everything was going great. And so that all that I did was, like, not right now. Like, it takes a long time to write things and publish things and especially going through, like, I remember going through the the editor's comments and, like, the first time I submitted to a journal, um, it got knocked back. Um... And yeah, my ex was like, it's all right. And I was like, I know I'll just resubmit. And I did. Um, so yeah, like it's, it's all a bit like, I I wish I could be happier, (laughs) but like, there's still that sort of like dark cloud, um, over it all. Yeah. Still, still like the best therapy is dog therapy, to be honest. (laughs) As I said, like, um, Zephyr loved my ex because he also gave her cheese so <laughs> but he, she didn't really like him and like yeah um and she's she's one of those dogs that doesn't like everyone like her daughter Shakira um because I raised Shakira because Zephyr didn't want to um she's very much like a people person she'll just go up to everyone and be all happy and like give me pats whereas Zephyr's like she has to check someone out first and she'll slowly warm to them and then when she decides she likes them she'll be like all rolling over giving like asking people to give her belly rubs and stuff but at first she'll be like yeah very wary there's something else i found out about you kit that you're a very keen and avid circus performer is that going to be a feature in the future for you well so I love gymnastics and um, my parents made me quit when I was younger and I wish I pursued that, especially the sort of circus um, aspects. So gymnastics is quite rigid. Circus is a bit more 
flexibility to be more creative like it's just as hard sometimes even harder but like the sort of you have more scope to be creative and I love circus um my ex was a is a circus performer but that hasn't stopped my love of circus um I coach circus uh like the kids and I guess kids are a little bit like dogs they're just so much joy and you know, unfiltered emotions. It's brilliant. Um, but yeah, I love performing and I love the circus and I probably like science. I did spend years and years of my life to become a scientist, but, um, I like trying to combine the two and my dream is to create a native bee themed circus performance. <laughs> so. Thank you so much for coming on this episode and for sharing your very deep and at times emotional journey. And I can see there's going to be amazing things happen for you in the future. Um, no, it's been wonderful to be able to talk about Zephyr so much because, yeah, usually people just want to hear about, like, my science, which is wonderful. But, yeah, I, I love talking about my dogs. I'm, you know, I'm a human. I'm a dog-loving human. And, yeah, I I always love sneaking some little doggy things into anything. 